Good morning. I am so glad to be with you, and I'm very honored to lead us into scripture this week. My name is Serene Nedenrip, and I'm on the teaching team here at Faith Community Church. I've been with our congregation for over 16 years now, so I don't often get to visit other churches. But recently, when my mom moved back to where she grew up in the Black Hills of South Dakota, she asked me to help her find a church. So I got to research the church scene there with her and find a couple that looked friendly and Holy Spirit filled. And then when I went to visit her, we went to check one of them out. The first thing I want to tell you about the church that we checked out was that it was kind of amazing. It was clearly um, loving. The people loved each other. The co-pastor couple greeted us at the door. The service was thoughtful. It was sincere and the Holy Spirit was pretty present. The message was good. Um, other people introduced themselves. There were just a bunch of good things about this church. And I was kind of hopeful that it might pan out into a good connection for my mom. I tell you all these things first so that you don't judge me when I tell you the parts that made me uncomfortable. Everything seemed pretty normal and familiar as we took our seats, but then I started to notice a couple of things that they did differently to worship. And they weren't even that crazy or over the top, but they were not what I was used to. The first thing I noticed was a pile of tambourines by the door. Regular ones, glittery ones, just a whole pile of them. And I thought, oh great, they're welcoming kids into worship. But then everyone was taking them, even the adults. And right before the service started, an older man in a suit who was sitting in the front row, he looked like president of something, he ran back to grab himself a purple glitter tambourine. And then he played that thing all through worship. And it was kind of a goofy scene, so it caught me off guard. And I did the mature thing that I do, and I giggled. And the thing about my giggling in inappropriate situations is that I have almost no ability to rein it back in. Maybe you relate. Unfortunately, my mom is the one who gave me that ability to rein in my giggles. So she is having the same immature reaction to this. And both of us are just sitting there throughout the service, trying not to look at each other, trying to hold back laughter. And we were doing okay to be respectful and hang. But then they played one of my favorite songs about the Holy Spirit. And the pastor grabbed up some gauzy white scarves and started floating them over people's heads as a symbolic gesture to represent the Holy Spirit. Now, I've heard of people worshiping with scarves and flags before, but I'd never really seen it done in a worship service. And she wasn't really like floating it as much as dragging the cloth over people's heads. And it was like catching their hair. And some people with closed eyes would be a little startled. But on the, for the most part, everybody was pretty fine with this, but my mom and I struggled to make it through that service. We could not hold it together. And on one hand, I love this idea of the scarves. I like the creativity. I like the expressiveness and sincerity. And I think it's kind of a legit way to symbolize the Holy Spirit. But since I wasn't familiar with it, it just made me feel more outsider and it made it hard for me to connect with God there. Now, this morning, we're going to look at a story of worship that's kind of like this. It's both beautiful 
and it's uncomfortable. It's about someone who showed Jesus so much love in such an over-the-top way that made people that it made people feel uncomfortable, and some of them even got mad about it. And I just want to shout out to the kids who are listening with us this morning. I feel like you guys can relate to this better than any of us, where you're just excited about something, so you react honestly, but it involves shouting and maybe a lot of arm motions. You're like, yeah, that's so exciting. This is Pax. Ah, my son. Until someone nearby is just like, be quiet, calm down. And people get bothered just because you're excited for something and you're a little too much. This is what Mary of Bethany was like, though, with Jesus. She was over the top in her love for him. First of all, there are five Marys in the Bible. So I just want to clear something up really easy. It's easy to mix up the Marys. Um, but that's just because a lot of people were named Mary back then. I think 20% of the women were named Mary. Um, so today, I just want to be clear, we're looking at Mary of Bethany, and there are three stories about her. And the thing that distinguishes Mary of Bethany from all the other Marys and the other disciples was that every time we see her, she is always at Jesus' feet. The first time we meet her, she's sitting at Jesus' feet when she's supposed to be helping with dinner. And it, her sister is bummed at her, and she feels like Mary's letting her down, but and complains even to Jesus. But then Jesus affirms Mary and says, she's chosen the best thing. The second time we see Mary, we see her at a very, very low point. But again, she's at Jesus' feet. And this time she's weeping because her brother has died and Jesus wasn't there in time to stop it. She brings her pain and her grief and her tears and her hard questions to Jesus' feet. And Jesus honors that by weeping with her. He doesn't rush through her pain and her questions, even though he's going to eventually raise Lazarus from the dead. And people notice that he's with her in that. And Vince led us into that passage last week. People notice the intimacy they have together and that Jesus has with her. Today, we're looking at the third story about Mary of Bethany in John 12. She's at Jesus' feet again. But this time she is doing something that is even more over the top and extreme than before. Let's read the story together. We're in John 12, and we're going to read verses 1 to 13, if you have your Bibles. So six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And they, so they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume, but Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. And the large crowd, when they learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. 
So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. The next day, that same large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. So last week, Vince told us that John 11 serves like a mid-season finale of a TV show, where we now shift from all the story arc of the whole season to, to the story arc of the finale, and it sets up the finale of the cross. And this week, we're looking at the first move toward the cross. And we see that the impact that Jesus had on everyone by raising up Lazarus has been massive. It's the week before the Passover. People are arriving in town from all over to purify themselves. And everyone is talking about Lazarus and whether Jesus will show up at Passover in Jerusalem. The Jewish religious and political leaders have put out the word that they're going to arrest and kill him. And, and then the word gets out to the crowd that Jesus is there. He's only two miles from Jerusalem, feasting it up in Bethany. And the Passover crowd hears and rushes out to Bethany to see Jesus and to see Lazarus. And at the center of all of this attention, Mary of Bethany, in the middle of this feast, sister of Lazarus, she pours a pound of nard all over Jesus' feet and then wipes them with her hair. Now, nard was a pungent perfume that was used for burials. It was used on dead bodies, so it's really strong. A pound of it is excessive. We don't buy perfume in bulk because you don't need very much of it. For reference, think of hand sanitizer. I have mine right here. And how strong the scent of hand sanitizer is and how long they take to use up. You only need a little bit each time. This is mine, it's only half a pound. So two of these filled with like the ultra concentrated perfume all over Jesus' feet would have, um, would have been um, would have exploded in their senses. And the fragrance fills the whole house, the house that is packed with crowds and all their smells, and the feast and all the feast smells is overwhelmed. This perfume overwhelms all those smells and takes over the house. And it takes over their attention. Everyone notices. How could they not? It's a personal demonstration of love, but it also takes over... It also takes all their, like, how could you talk about anything else when you can barely, um, when you can barely, like, it's giving you headaches, their aroma is so strong. And we see that this offends Judas, but he probably wasn't the only one who was uncomfortable. He just said something out loud. And then we see Jesus defends her actions to Judas and to the disciples and the crowds. He affirms what she is doing. She's, he names it as a prophetic act of worship. He says she's foreshadowing his coming death and burial. So there are a lot of characters in this story. A lot is going on in the political, religious, and social backdrop. But I want us to focus in really closely on this image of Mary at Jesus' feet. I love that she's always there. What an astounding thing to be remembered for. What a cool picture, right, of worship that this can be for us. Kneeling is such a deliberate posture, it's intentional. Mary doesn't just happen to be at Jesus' feet, she is where she is on purpose. 
She has chosen to be there at his feet. Mary of Bethany is intentional and determined to give her worship to Jesus. And I think it's doubly cool because every time she's seated at Jesus' feet, every time she falls at his feet or washes his feet with perfume, she's always giving him something that's costly and precious to her. This morning, I want you to know true worship is always going to be expensive, but it will always also be worth it. If it's cheap or easy worship, it's probably not worship. Three times we see Mary show us this. She chooses Jesus over everything else in the situation. Think about it. The first time she sits at Jesus' feet, she deliberately gives Jesus her full attention. But, but, but that means that she's not paying attention to all the other things, including her sister's criticisms and the social expectations for her as a woman. Jesus says that her attention, the gift she gives him of her attention, was worth the sacrifice and that she chose the best thing because she gets his presence. And then later when Lazarus dies, it's harder for her to choose worship. It's harder for her to bring her grief to Jesus because she has to trust him. And she has to choose to give Jesus the hardest thing for her. And we see her hesitate. When Jesus shows up too late to save Lazarus, Mary doesn't run out right away to meet him. It's as if she's deliberating the cost of trusting him with her pain and trauma and loss. But when she does choose to give him all of her pain and grief, and she comes and falls at his feet and worships him, and she chooses to give Jesus her very hardest thing, her hardest moment, it's totally worth it because she gets Jesus' presence with her and he shares her sorrow. In John 12, the story that we're looking at today, we're now seeing her choose to worship Jesus again. And this time she's giving him the costliest thing. Mary's worship of Jesus is so wholehearted and so over the top. And what she does with the perfume is illogical and controversial and expensive but Jesus affirms this gift. He affirms her emotion as appropriate. He defends her actions, says, tells Judas to leave her alone. And then he tells Judas, leave her alone. But then he turns to the crowd and says, you don't always have me. So whatever it cost Mary in humiliation to do this in this situation in front of all these people, all the criticism she took on, all to give Jesus her very best, to give Jesus um, her everything, to wipe her, his feet with her hair, it's worth it because she has Jesus. She gives her all and it's because it's worth it to be with him. That's true worship. For just a moment, I want to glance at all the other people in the room though. And how are they reacting to Jesus? So first we have the officials. They're so offended by Lazarus being resurrected that they decide to kill him. Think of the irony. This response is just as deliberate and chosen as Mary's. And like Mary, they don't arrive at a choice to kill overnight. It's the result of a long pattern of intentionally hardening their heart to Jesus and withholding their hearts. And with Judas, he's offended too, but he's offended at the cost of the perfume she uses. A whole year's wages? That money could have been better used elsewhere. And he might not be wrong. What Mary does is really wasteful. It's not a good use of funds. But how do you know 
if something's a waste or if it's eternally valuable. Of course, we get the side note, the view that Judas's complaint was more revealing about his issues than hers. Because at this point, Judas has been realizing for a while that Jesus is not going to get him where he wants to go. Judas loves money, yes, but even more than that, I think Judas is ambitious. And what he really wants is to win, to be a winner. And Jesus is not going for that. In fact, Jesus is going to lose his life. So as Jesus talks more and more about losing and giving his life and laying down his life, Judas is wrinkled and he is deciding steadily that Jesus is a loser and he's looking for an exit plan. And then we can also look at the crowd and they're excited about Jesus' power over death, his message of salvation, and they worship Jesus with palm branches and loud cries, very demonstrative and emotional. And they say, we believe you and we welcome you as king and savior. And it's wild and showy. But as the Passover week unfolds, we're going to see them. They're going to be disappointed as they figure out what Judas has already realized. Jesus' agenda in coming to Jerusalem is not to give them what they want. He isn't coming to save them from Roman oppression or win political points. And when they can't get what they want, they're going to turn away. They're going to withdraw their heart from Jesus. Within a week, even the disciples will become disillusioned and leave Jesus when things get scary for them. It's a crucial time this last week before the cross for all of them. But in this crucial time, Mary embraces Jesus' path to the cross and affirms his choice to lay down his life by symbolically giving him her everything. It's not just the real cost of the perfume she pours out or even the sacrifice of other ways to use the money, but she wipes his feet with her hair. Even today, that would be a powerful gesture of affection. But back then, a woman's glory was her hair. She's literally giving him all of her glory, all her attention, all her grace, the most expensive of perfumes, all her trust, all her glory. She wastes them all on the feet of Jesus, just spends them. Mary's worship is so outrageous. It's so wasteful, but it's so worth it to Mary. Every time worship costs her something, every time she chooses to give Jesus her all, she gets him. She gets the best thing. And when you realize that Jesus is days away from being crucified, this over-the-top worship of Mary of Bethany makes so much more sense. It's actually the right time to go all out in lavish worship and the best time to express all that Jesus means to her. She won't always have him and she recognizes that. And Jesus says, that's it. You understand the time. It's astounding to me thinking about the timing that she's the only one doing this. Jesus has been telling all of his disciples over and over that he's going to give his life. And everyone there knows a showdown is coming. Why aren't they all wasting it all on him? We live in a crucial time too. Tensions are high all around us. People are stressed out and we're very aware of division and pain and suffering all around us. And we're aware of all the need for God to break through. And the crucial time that we live in is revealing how deep and shallow our worship lives are. Because true worship is expensive, but it will always be worth it. 
What about Mary's worship is most challenging to you, most revealing to you, or maybe even offensive? She worships Jesus with a wholeheartedness most of us have never come close to, and we may never get there, and you might even be offended if you saw someone actually doing that. And then, what about Mary's worship is compelling to you? How do you want to follow Mary to the feet of Jesus? How are you inspired to go there again and again like she does? What would it look like for you to give Jesus your all? And what do you need to bring to the feet of Jesus to show him you, he has your all? I'm going to come back to these questions in a minute and pray for us. But as you sit with those questions, I want to share a story with you. A few months ago, I was praying with a friend and coworker, Jennifer. She's in Virginia. And um, I had an image of her dancing and worshiping God and just being kind of wild, and which she laughed about. And she explained that was so far outside her comfort zone in worshiping God. And as we kept praying, we didn't know what it meant exactly, but we were kind of realizing that God was going to start expanding her worship life, and he was inviting her to take risks and go deeper with him. And then a couple weeks later, I got a text from her asking for some good worship playlists. And then she told me that she felt like God had told her to get prayer ribbons and that she just ordered them on Amazon and they should be there on Tuesday. And since I didn't totally know what prayer ribbons are, she had to explain to me that she was going to use them to dance with as she listened to worship music. Something like this? I don't know. I've never done it. So we definitely laughed about it together and felt nervous. But then halfway through the laughter, she's like, I think I'm going to actually do this. And watching her follow through with this has been so great for me. She texted me when the ribbons came in the mail. And then when she opened them, she sent me a picture. And she sent me um, a text that when she had first tried them and how awkward she felt. And it's been really cool to see my friend grow in her worship life. It's been really cool to see her deepen her intimacy with the Holy Spirit because of that risk. And even last week, she told me, you might be interested to know that your kid's playlist on Spotify is actually my favorite one to worship to with my ribbons, which is perfect because that is exactly my children's personality. And because it's so far outside her comfort zone and personality, it feels like an even more precious gift that she's giving to Jesus. My first inclination was to react like I did to the tambourines and scarves and just kind of giggle it off. But another part of me is kind of interested and drawn to these acts of devotion that are way out beyond my comfort, my comfort worship service, my, my own experience. And just no pressure, I want you to know, I don't expect us all to bring prayer ribbons next time we get together for worship or become suddenly comfortable with things that we're not comfortable with. Um, but I do think this is a crucial time we're living in, and it's an opportunity to go further in how we worship God as we're aware of our longing for more intimacy with God as we miss things. Personally, I have found this time to be a really revealing time about my character, and it's revealing a gaping weakness in my own worship life. I don't actually mind the part about going to church in my pajamas with a cup of coffee, and I don't mind listening to sermons online, but I do miss live worship. And I've been thinking about why is this? Why do I miss live worship the most? 
because it's not about the songs we sing. They're not even always my favorites um, or even the live music experience. Um, it's not about being together with specific people, sorry, or even in a specific place because I've met God in many different worship settings. What I miss about live worship, I've realized, is that it was a space that was held for me to respond to God. It was just the only place in my life that I decided it was appropriate to throw up my hands and close my eyes with people around me, rock back and forth to cry, to kneel, press my face to the floor, try things. Even with other people present, it always feels free and appropriate to go further with God there. And I don't think musical worship is the only way to encounter God or worship Him. Um, I've had really alive times worshiping God through scripture, prayer, or like enjoying nature, but nothing else in my devotional life is quite like live worship. And all this online church experience is causing me to realize that I've come to count on the event of worship to lead me into full and true worship. I was dependent on it, which means I'm a I was a little bit lazy. I'm so compelled by this image of Mary of Bethany at Jesus' feet because she's not waiting for the right time and place to worship Jesus this way. She's making space. She's making the space to worship Jesus. She's making it happen. She's intentional. I love her urgency. I love her determination. I love her lavishness, her no-holds-barred worship of Jesus. And I want that for me. There's no easy way for Mary to pour out her whole self. There's not a more appropriate time for her to do something like this. And you don't have to wait for the perfect moment to give your whole self either. You can choose to go over the top in your worship to Jesus now or today or later if you carve out some time to be alone from your kids. What's challenging about being over the top in worship for you? What about it is most compelling for you? And what do you need to bring to the feet of Jesus? What would it look like to give your all to Jesus? Let me pray for us. I want to pray specifically into this image of the ribbons and the perfume and the expressiveness of Mary at Jesus' feet. And I want to just ask God, would you inspire each of us with your Holy Spirit? Would you inspire us with an image of something that, a specific something or a posture of worship that you would invite us to take that would represent giving you our all, whether it's kneeling or dancing or ordering ribbons on Amazon, would you give each one praying with me now a sense of what you of what what you might want to see them bring to your feet? And I pray, Jesus, would you give us the courage to follow that longing and desire for more intimacy with you, even in this time where we can't be together? Would you give us courage and determination like Mary of Bethany to seek out your feet and to pour out our all there. And I want to just bless the kids in particular. Thank you, God, for kids and the way they honestly respond to exciting things with excitement. 
and silly things with silliness and sad things with tears. Lord, would you bless them in their emotional and spiritual health and would you speak to their hearts and would you speak to our hearts through them and restore to us all a childlike spirit that's able to worship full out, full out responsiveness to you, Jesus. In your name, amen.